You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Here we go, episode 12 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy. What's up, brother? Kenny, what's going on? Successful uh, town hall meeting yesterday with our crew, so exciting things to come. Yeah, very exciting things to come for the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm glad that you were able to attend that. I was actually at the brewery yesterday evening, so nice that we could get uh, some perspective. We'll go over those notes that you took from the town hall meeting after the show and some very exciting news coming down the line for the Hockey Podcast Network. But let's stick with the hockey here. An exciting time, the NHL draft happening on Tuesday. What were your initial takeaways from the Leafs Hall? Well, I was a little thrown off. I'm sure many Leaf fans were as well, but yeah, just no because kidding. The, the boomers main, shaking the main their theme, again. Yeah, the main theme really was just small and speedy. I mean, I believe 10 or 9 of the 11 draft picks they took were under 175 pounds. The first se- first round selection that everyone was kind of going, what? Because I know on the last pod we were, we were circling Braden Schneider on the, on the Brandon Wheat Kings. And the Leafs ended up taking Rodion Amirov, who is, I believe, 182 at six foot. But, I mean, it's a little alarming when you look at his stats through uh, his time with UFA and the K. But, again, in past years, I think it's almost like we're expecting a player to make an immediate impact, which the Leafs organization and franchise has got already. I mean, look no further than the 2016, but they're not in a position where they, you know, can draft guys who need to make an immediate impact next season. No. And really the only player that I think, as you can hear my dog in the background, clicking away, the only thing that the only player that's probably going to make an or have a chance to make an immediate impact would be Rodion Amaroff. Uh, and, Toronto, for what they've done, have had pretty good luck with their first-round picks, albeit Mitch Marner was a top-five pick. Austin Matthews was obviously the first overall, and Nylander was a top-ten pick. So those are obviously picks that you expect to be able to convert into prospects who are going to be able to contribute right away at the NHL level. Now, I don't know a ton about Rodion Amaroff. I think uh, it caught a lot of people by surprise, as you were saying, particularly when Kyle Dubas was saying just prior to the draft – how the focus of the team is going to be to get harder to play against, right. to get a, like, a little bit more physical, a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, and play that stuffed, tough style of game. I think that primes the fan base to expect something different. I don't think the fan base should be surprised at all by this pick. I mean, it's pretty true to form for who Toronto has tried to make their identity over the last several seasons, focusing on size or speed and skill over brutes and size and that sort of aspects of that game. Um, this is a player who he's very fast, got good agility. Uh, he's played and made an impression in the MHL, but is one of the top players in the league as far as skill is concerned. Uh, he plays consistent physical game and finishes his checks. He puts good pressure on the opponents. I think it's a good pick for Toronto. I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, that they kept the pick. I thought that they were for sure going to parlay it with either Andreas Janssen, Alex Kerfoot, one of those depth forwards who 
they who they were talking about, you know, sort of flushing out the extra cap money, get three million off the books. I thought they might parlay it with one of those players or perhaps with a player like Timothy Lilligren, as we were discussing in the last pod, to try to bring something to help the team in the immediate short term. However, I do think that Kyle Dubas, that was definitely on the table, but he was never going to try to force the trade or try to get something that wasn't there. The market obviously wasn't there for the 15th overall pick, despite this being a big, a very deep draft, and he was going to get what he wanted in return. He decided to choose a player and excited to, to welcome Rodion Amarov to Leafs Nation. And that's why Dubas and company took so long, even when the, the clock ran out. They were still fishing and, and looking around to see if they could potentially flip it and package it into a deal. Now, he only is 19 years of age. Personally, I don't really see a lot of these picks cracking the roster in the future. I mean, th- this is even even with Rodion, and congratulations to him and his family. It's, it's a huge accomplishment. But, I mean, could you foresee, I could foresee possibly Dubas still sniffing around trying to trade this pick? Well, we'll see. Uh, I think that you do lose a little bit of value when you, like, obviously a first-round prospect is a first-round prospect. But as we were talking about in the last pod, a, a pick, like a, a 15th overall pick, the draft pick before the draft, is worth more to a scouting department than a player that you're going to pick at that position immediately after the draft. Because maybe for Amarov, obviously none of the teams picking before the Leafs valued him more to pick him before Toronto could snap him up. And it's tough to say what other teams would have valued after Toronto and how many picks he might have slipped before they snapped him up. So obviously he's a very good player. Again, I'm not going to get into a deep dive on the scouting report because it's not as if I'm Craig J. Button and I have, you know, a huge... You're not overseas. Uh, yeah, I have a huge this book. Guy. Yeah, it's the head of the scouting department over here. So I'm not going to pretend like I've watched this kid play a million games of major junior or anything. But it's tough to understand what the value of this player will be on the trading market. Obviously, as we said, as a first round pick, you're going to have some inherent value. But I think that if you were going to trade the pick, you probably likely would have traded him before the draft. Otherwise, you have to wait a couple of years down the road for the prospect to elevate in Bracco, to elevate in value. I was going to say to elevate in Bracco because I got Jeremy Bracco on the mind as an example too, of a player who didn't really pan out for Toronto. And they actually didn't qualify him this week, releasing him. So he's free to test the free agent market. A very disappointing result for a second round pick that was highly touted and expected to be a player who could contribute not only at the NHL level, but likely play power play minutes for the big club as well. I actually met Jeremy Bracco last year, the day after the Raps won it on the Esplanade near uh, Tilted Kilt. You know that spot, Kenny? Oh, the Tilted Kilt. Yeah, I've uh, I've been uh, over there, the Amsterdam Bicycle Club, Old Spaghetti Factory. They got a couple of restaurants down there. He was shocked. I mean, I guess because the craze was all over the Raptors, which makes sense. But, you know, only you and I and and a handful of of ardent Leaf fans downtown would be able to scout out even some Marlies. And, you know, he he was a good guy. And and again, you can kind of equate it to Amirov, too, because it's a small, speedy forward who never really cracked the main roster. Excellent NHL, excellent AHL player, but just wasn't an NHL player. Absolutely. Same thing as like Nick Patan as well. Excellent, excellent AHL player, but a fringe forward at best. Absolutely. And it, I totally agree that. And even even with Gauthier, I mean, he was kind of the high, hybrid 4C with Pierre Engvall this past year. And it, it they chose, Leafs management chose the right players to extend qualifying offers to in Travis Dermott and Ilya Mikheyev. Evan Rodriguez also didn't get qualified. Uh, that one's less of a surprise. I don't think it was, that one was as much about they're not necessarily being a fit, but about the fact that he probably wanted a little bit more money than Toronto was willing to give him and wasn't willing to take the haircut that Kyle Dubas and the management was asking him to take. Cause I think he was around 2 million bucks if they were going to qualify him. And that obviously just wasn't going to fit into Toronto's structure. If they're with the cap crunch that they're under a little bit, especially if they're looking to make a little bit of a little bit of a splash in free agency and get some of that size and get some of that physicality, they just weren't going to be able to fit in those sorts of depth to contracts on the team. So no surprises there. Uh, on the f- positive note, this means that the Leafs did qualify a couple of players, most notably your boy, Ilya Mikheyev, and also defenseman Travis Dermott. Huge. I mean, they've earned it as well. And and good for Mikheyev too, who had a Superman. Superman. He's going to get uh, a nice little sponsorship, I'm sure, from Campbell's Soup, if he hasn't already. Chunky Soup. 
chunky soup. And the next you know, he had a tough year. He had that he had that lacerated wrist injury, but he's earned it. And of course, Dermot has proven to be a uh, a staple defenseman on on the back end for the Leafs too. I think he has potential to be in the top four in the future. Potential for sure. Um, our favorite word: potential to be in the Big top potential four. Potential guys. I like Dermot in a sense that. I thought he had a decent playoff. I thought he had a pretty good series against Columbus. I thought he was asked to step into a much bigger role when Jake Muzzin left the lineup, and I was overall impressed with his play. We'll see how his development continues. The main reason I like this player is because he's cheap. I think that they're going to be able to keep him in the short term. Now, I, I saw some people on Twitter this week mentioning that it's likely Dermot might be one of the players who was exposed in the expansion draft. So The Kraken. Yeah, so that wouldn't be really true that great or that shrewd to lose this player for nothing. So we'll have to see what Kyle Dubas has tied up because I don't, I don't can't remember the exact rules of when Vegas did, but I think you're allowed to protect three defensemen. So obviously it would be Muzzin, Riley, Sandine would be protected because he's doesn't have enough NHL experience to be put up. So you can have eight or seven players protected total. Yeah, I, well, I'd have to go. I have to go look at something the rules again because I think last time it was like you could protect seven forwards, three defensemen, or you could protect like six forwards and four defensemen, and then one goalie, something along those lines. And if they're young enough coming into the league, then they aren't up for to get picked. So that's why Toronto was in such good shape last time because all their players were super young, so they didn't even have to protect Matthews or Nylander or Marner right. because they were ineligible to be selected. They were still on ELCs. Yeah, but now Toronto's going to be one of those teams who's more in the window and is likely going to be exposed. And you have to feel like Dubas is just going to be like, Ronnie, just take what you want. Just take one of my players. Because no, I don't think that any GM is going to be willing to play ball the way that they tried to play ball with George McPhee and then ultimately ended up just getting torched for picks, for prospects, multiple players. And McPhee's over there looking like a mastermind, accumulating draft capital and medium-touted prospects, then plugging them in his lineup and they're scoring. You know, look at Bill Carlson, 40 goals or whatever it was, that astronomical rise after leaving Columbus. Well, it's just, it's insane. I I don't think Seattle could could emulate what Vegas did in their inaugural season and go all the way to the cup final with basically no uh, chance basically with there the is zero percent chance <laughs> that, that that's happening again that was such an anomaly and credit to the team and i was actually watching a documentary on this on amazon prime the other day and i'd forgotten how emotional that inaugural season was for vegas when they were there was that big shooting at the concert in the country festival there and like there was like hundreds of people that died right before the season opener for the Vegas Golden Knights and the community just rallied around the team. And you remember, um, I believe it was, um, which defense? I believe it was Derek England, Derek England. Yes. Thank you. Great memory. Did that amazing speech right before the first game. I remember that community really rallied behind the team and the team was really there for the community in a way that I don't think anybody expected. It just sort of propelled them to, an amazing regular season and they just kept winning and winning and winning despite, you know, goaltending injuries and any adversary adversity they seemed to face. I mean, it was just a storybook season for the Vegas golden Knights. The only way that could have been better is if they capped it off with a Stanley cup champion and imagine how Maple Leafs fans would feel if the Vegas golden Knights (laughs) won it in their first year. And we haven't won it since 67. Good Lord. (laughs) Good Lord. Mike. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, one other piece about the draft. Again, I don't really want to get into like a deep dive on every prospect that the Maple Leafs took. I want to talk about the more overall philosophy of the draft. And Kyle Dubas spoke on Thursday on overdrive on TSN 1050. So I want to dig into that interview a little bit about what the GM had to say. One other piece of business that I want to touch on that Kyle Dubas had during the draft though, was the trade down that he had with Ottawa. I believe he traded a pick, the least second round pick. I believe it was something around pick 42. Do you know the exact number? Yes. So it was 64th and 40. And 59 and 64 they got in return. And I believe it was for a pick in the early 40s. And this was a very shrewd piece of business from Kyle Dubas by my estimation. I mean, the two prospects that they got in return were touted as 
prospects who could be drafted in the first round to begin with, like fringe first round players. Obviously, they played the style of game that Kyle Dubas was looking for. And he also understood the situation of his counterpart, Pierre Dorian, where this guy had so much draft capital. It was insane the amount of draft capital that Ottawa had coming into this. I think they had seven picks in the first two rounds or something absurd like that. Well, and so he, you know, I, you understand as another GM that they can't possibly take that much talent. They, they just, they can't do it. They can't develop it at a rate that's going to be effective. They aren't going to be able to have the spot, spots in their lineup. It's actually going to hinder the development of the players if you have that many high skilled guys, because there's only a certain amount of spots. Like in Belleville, there's only five spots on the first power play unit. So if you have, you know, seven guys who should be plugging in there, then, you know, sorry, you're shit out of luck for the three prospects or four prospects that aren't going to be able to get those reps. And thus, they are going to get the reps that are going to be important for them to thrive later at the NHL level. So understanding that as a GM, Kyle Dubas sees that Dorian has all this multitude, this wealth of riches in the first in the first two rounds of the draft and decides that they might be open for business, flips one pick for two pick and two picks and ends up getting two players that the organization values in return instead of getting one, just a couple picks earlier. I thought it was a very shrewd move by the Maple Leafs GM. Well, that's that's when the general manager really earns their coin. I mean, you obviously have a, a, a general idea of who is going to be taking in the first round. I mean, you came on my, my McCarthy Perspective podcast back in the summer, and we were talking about these draft picks. So you have an idea for the first round, but really where you make your coin is deep into the rounds. And personally, I think a really sly move from Dubas was taking – out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, William Villanueva or Villanueva, he led all Quebec demon in points and assists. So these are little things where, yeah, it's a fourth round pick, but there could be little gems where, you know, Dubis and company will take extra time to to pick, you know, a a prospect that may not look as flashy as a, as a first rounder, but again, we've seen time and time again, Kenny gems coming out of a deep round, like in the sixth or seventh round. There was a lot of European players that Toronto took in this draft. And, seven. and I was looking at this and, you know, Kyle didn't mention anything about this on the, or that there was any intention behind this rather. But do you think that there was a direct parallel for the fact that the European players right now are playing They're they're open for business. They're in their regular season. They're playing games consistently. Whereas there's a lot of questions surrounding the CHL right now, whether it's the Western hockey league, I know the Ontario hockey league released this week that likely if they were going to continue moving forward, that they would have to play without hitting, which I don't know what the hell that's about. Like you can't, you can't play. You just got to shut it down. If there's no hitting, that's not going to help anybody out there playing as Jeff O'Neill said, a game of shinny on the ice. That's not going to help anybody develop. Like, what the hell are you even playing for? It's not going to help you get ready for the NHL when there's no hitting. What are you supposed to do? You know, Jake Muzzin's uh, coming down the half wall and you're Nick Robertson coming in practice. And you're like, oh, no, don't don't worry about it. It's practice. He's not going to level me. Boom. See you later over the boards. I read that update in my apartment elevator going down to the ground lobby. And I kind of did like that shake my head. And people were like, what is the problem? And just like, this is just the talkie just. Just stand over there. Stand way over there. Yeah, stand in the corner of that. I'm surprised that there was other people in the elevator with you. Isn't the the respectful thing these days well, in Toronto see... to just let the let if the elevator comes down, there's somebody in there. You don't try to cram in there or it's, what? If you see like three, four, it's like, ooh, I better I better wait for the next one. But if you see like two, you kind of do like, hey, do you mind? And then you kind of just spread out in the little tiny elevator. Yeah. The worry yeah, is if it gets on, stuck. Obviously. It gets stuck and it's like great. Like God forbid you got to interact with a human, which people seem to have trouble with now. I got to be honest. If the elevator, like I'm worried about the elevator getting stuck regardless, regardless of when, what time period we're in pandemic or not. But people are that much more a, antsy that's a now. Nightmare. That, yeah. I feel like if the elevator panic. got stuck, if the, if the elevator got stuck, I just sort of be like, you know, whatever. You just got to wait it out just hope that you're not going to fall to your doom in the death trap and try to do that weird thing that everybody says where you have to like have you... jump before you hit the ground. Oh, no, like no. That, that doesn't this work. Is, this you're, isn't you're Tower done. of Terror. No, we can't do that. <laughs> have you ever been, have you you ever been on Tower of Terror? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm petrified of that ride. 
once. I, I've been once. It was I scary. would never, you will catch me dead on the Tower of Terror. Like I love the roller coasters. Like, you know, like Superman Ride of Steel. I used to go to, when I lived in the United States of America, I used to go to Six Flags, New England, Six Flags, Great Adventure, go on the Superman, Batman. Like, I love the coasters. Just tore but up. I am absolutely petrified of heights for no apparent reason other than heights. Like, when I get to the top of the roller coaster, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to get get the hell off this like, thing. Let's go. Like, let's go. Let's go. Let's hit this first. <laughs> let's hit this first ramp, and then I'm good to go. But I, I can't do it. Like, the one that just goes straight up and down. So you're not going to do like the CNE Skywalk or anything, are you? No, I. That's not up your alley. I would rather die. If I'm planning like a surprise birthday thing, like that's that wouldn't be. I would rather die than climb around the CN Tower. Like (laughs) honestly, that's like my worst nightmare. I guess I'm next. I I just get weak in the knees. I don't even like. I would don't even like going up the CN Tower. Like my girlfriend was like, "Oh, you want to go up the CN Tower? It might be nice." I was like, "Absolutely not." Yeah, I'm not going to have a good time. I get knee. I get weak at the knees. As soon as I get like, even like in like a tall skyscraper, I get weak at the knees when I get like close to the window. It just like makes me like feel like I've got jello in my shoes and I just like can't walk straight anymore. People think I I've just had a couple that... cocktails before noon, but really I'm just petrified <laughs> of heights. I just get that little, uh, that little stomach pain, like, oh, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't look like it's going to end well. Yeah, it's not, it's not ideal. I'm, I'm just good without it. I don't, I don't, <laughs> that's not, no high rides i'm even getting rattled like thinking about it it's not the best as far as like living in toronto sometimes you just have to go up a skyscraper to take care of the regular business speaking of which what floor is your apartment on because i might be able to come visit i might not be able to if uh you're getting closer to the higher levels here it's on the 25th and there's uh, 25th 47 probably, floors 25th is probably okay yeah i'll just like, not, not sit near the window have you been have you been trapped in an elevator before have I been trapped in an elevator before? Yeah. Not to put I, that worry in your head, but no, you know. I don't think so. Like that doesn't really bother me that much. I don't know. It's because I can't, I guess, see outside. So I can't see like how high up we are or whatever. So psychologically, it doesn't affect me in the same way. I think I got stuck in an elevator in like middle school, but it was like okay. in, but it was like in the school. So like two it was floors? Like, yeah. It was like a two floor elevator <laughs> and like, it was just like an old shitty elevator. And like, it used to get stuck all the time. And I'm pretty sure I was in the elevator and somebody pulled the stop button. They were like, ha ha ha. And then the alarm went off and then they like Uh-oh. tried to unstop it. And then it just didn't go again. And they were just like, Oh yeah. Good job. Now we're all going to get in trouble because nobody has an elevator pass. Oh, we're, we're going to get caught red handed. It's like we should have taken the stairs. Yeah, we didn't have the elevator key. Got caught red handed. I was like, oh, who is who is the handicapped one? Who has the elevator pass? Like, uh, no one. Oh. Lunch detention. Yeah. Mr. Stapon, whoever your teacher was. Yeah, that's it. You're, you're in big trouble. Uh, Mr. My... Stapon sounds like a good teacher name. Mr. Packard was our uh, assistant principal back in the day. Wow. Uh, so when we look at the Leafs' philosophy, on this draft, I mean, they obviously chose to. There's two ways you can improve through the draft. You either try to improve right now by parlaying picks, or you try to improve the team in the future by using your draft picks to try to develop them. Obviously, there aren't going to be a ton of players who are going to be able to help the Leafs right now. For the most part, these players are going to be, you know, two, three, four years down the road before they can be NHL regulars where they're going to plug into the lineup outside of Abramov. What did you make of the Leafs' philosophy? Because as we touched on it before. I was a bit surprised that they didn't do more to try to help the team immediately in the short term rather than, you know, parlay some of these picks or rather than draft the, the players rather to bring them into the system and try to essentially just play the waiting game. Well, it's almost as if, you know, like a week ago, given what Dubus was saying, the Leafs need to get meaner. They need to dictate the play. They can't wait for things to happen and then act. It's like, well, are you contradicting yourself with just getting smaller, speedy guys like that don't even reach six foot and are barely 180 pounds? But I think he did. I, if you want to grade the draft, I'd, I'd give him a B plus given the current state of the Leafs. I mean, they're not like the Senators where they B plus need, is fair. They need like two impactful players right away, and and they got that in Tim Stutzla and Sanderson. But I think Sanderson was a player that I highlighted when we were talking about the draft on the McCarthy perspective. I believe you did. Yes. As a, he yeah, was high for you. Big, big shout out to, big. Uh, I'm going to call out Ross Levitan. Cause I was like, I like this player. He's a big, 
big physical defenseman, like has the upside to play the two-way game. I don't know if he was as high as on Ross Levitan's board, but we'll have to invite him on the podcast perhaps because he has a lot of insight into the draft. I was uh, he does he said he did uh, he did me a favor and actually flipped me his notes on the Maple Leafs prospects. He did an, a very in-depth report on basically like the top 150 prospects in the draft. That's incredible. No, it, he's got a strong hockey IQ. Ross Leviton does. Yeah, it was in, it was insane. I was like, he's like, I know so much about this draft class. It's actually unhealthy. But it's like, do you just like text Scott Wheeler? Yeah, he, like, he's on the, the phone. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like he's, that dubious he, meme yeah, where he's got like a cell phone to his ear. He's got yeah. three phones going at a time. Yeah, we'll have but to have him on the pod. It's not. It's really just not like past years. Like you think 2014, 15, 16, the Leafs got Nylander, Marner, Matthews right away impactful players but in this in this time right now they're not like desperate for like we need that franchise piece i think dubis did a b plus job in getting future players but i think he's gonna still tender with the fact that these picks could get moved for you know a bigger item in return so i think it's more of a future yeah look outlook well, everybody keeps comparing Toronto to the Tampa Bay Lightning being like, oh, yeah, you know, the Lightning stuck with their core for, you know, several years. And, you know, they finally got over the hump and they won the cup. I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? They're basically there aren't really that many comparables between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, they have both high end talent. I guess Tampa Bay is as deep as a gum as, as it comes as far as organizations are concerned. They have the big edge in net with Andre Vasilevsky over Frederick Anderson, a much more proven goaltender who will almost certainly win several Vesnas throughout his career. They have a bona fide number one defenseman in Victor Hedman, who we highlight as being probably the unanimous best defenseman in the league at this point in his career. And then they have depth up front to the point where they're actually looking to move Steven Stamkos, perhaps to free up some cast space. I, I think he has a no movement. So it, there would have to be uh, some talk with the player and with the team. And I don't think that they're necessarily trying to move him, but there's, there's a lot of teams kicking tires on Stamkos to see if Breezeball could fix some of his cap situations by moving that player. But this team has had success in the playoffs. They've had success in the regular season. They've been one of the most difficult teams to play against in the regular season for the last two or three seasons. Whereas Toronto it seems like depends on the night. Sometimes they're look at skating around like they're the NHL all-stars and they're making the other team look like, you know, it's an AHL team. And then on other nights, it just looks like they don't show up. They aren't engaged defensively. They aren't taking the body. They aren't forechecking hard. They aren't backchecking hard. And they're just okay just letting the backup goaltender take a seven spot or an eight spot around their neck and just say, oh, you know, sorry, Garrett. You know, it wasn't us tonight. And then they get him shipped out of town or it's, oh, you know, sorry. Like how many backup goaltenders have they had? Sorry, Hutch. You know, you know, it wasn't your night tonight. And you and know just what? Hanging it's these getting... guys out to dry. They, there just aren't that many similarities for me between the Tampa Bay Lightning as they're constructed and the Maple Leafs. And these sorts of comparisons like really piss me off because it's delusional by the fan base to be comparing the two franchises. Oh, I completely agree. And I, you know, it's only fitting, too, that uh, your boy Mac, Curtis McElhaney, gets to hoist the cup, a former backup of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They went through, what, like 10, it felt like? Curtis. Yeah, they were. They went through a ton. <laughs> what was that? C- Curtis. <laughs> I just tried to sneak it in there. I actually tried to sneak it in there earlier, but my mic was muted. So that was a little bit after the fact, after we were talking about McElhaney. But yeah, a former Maple Leaf, and that will be one of the moves that Dubis has been judged most most harshly on throughout his tenure as the GM was deciding to go with his boy Sparks over McElhaney, the proven bona fide NHL caliber backup who had good pedigree with Frederick Anderson. They, they let him walk. And then obviously, you know how the Sparks situation panned out. It didn't work out well. And then they end up, you know, going to Hutchinson that didn't work out well. And so and eventually it led to the organization trading for Jack Campbell, who seems to have solidified the position now. But the Maple Leafs fan base has not forgiven Dubis yet for dishing a guy who had proven that he could play the position and take some of that stress off Frederick Anderson. And and I know you were heated on that, and it pisses me off too about comparing Tampa and Toronto. It's People so, it's so they frustrating. Look the, they look at the skill up front, and they're like, oh, yeah, like they pretty much match up on paper. It's like, well, last time I checked, Tampa has been, you know, basically 
well, they've been in contention the last five years because they went to the cup final against Chicago in 2015. Five years they've been competing. So five years they've been competing. Like they at the top of the East for five years. Yes. And you know what? Breezewall out hustled and outworked Dubas uh, in the pivotal point of the season at trade deadline. They got Shattenkirk. They got different positions, uh, though, I would argue. Pardon me? Different positions, though, I would argue. Like Tampa was in the we need to win right now which Toronto has to win right now too, but I don't think Toronto is in the, uh, we're going to mortgage our future in, in entirely like sort of like Columbus did a year ago where they're like, all right, we're, we're going for it and we don't care. And they sort of bring in Duchesne, they bring in Dezingle. They know that Bobrovsky is leaving. They know that Panarin's leaving and they're just like, screw it. We're going to, I know, but at we're going to make the trades. At some point you kind of have to have that breeze wall mentality where you get, sorry, I just wanted to finish. I think they got Shattenkirk, Goudreau, Coleman and Maroon, like four solid yeah. ads. And after four straight first round exits, at some point, like Dubas has to make that big plunge. And obviously you get Tavares, you're getting key pieces, you're making Toronto, you know, an, an attractive town to play in. Already is, I think. As long but, like there obviously there's the pressure that comes with it, but I gotta believe as far as NHL markets, this is a top three market. The only negative I can think about would be the pressure to succeed and what can yeah, happen if you come into the market and you aren't living up to the contract like we saw what happened to Dion everybody's super excited and then he's the whipping boy for years you know I thought that he was as a captain he handled that so well over the years everybody calling him a pylon and he's just uh, inevitably in the end he was just misjudged for what he was going to be we saw it with the uh free agent signing of David Clarkson you know they signed him who I believe is still under well LTIR contract with the Leafs right now right yeah it's uh you see what (laughs) you see with him like, my goodness, how excited were people when they signed him? And then what did he have in Man. his first year? Seven goals or something? I was in dim sum in Kingston. I was standing up on my chair when we got him. <laughs> I was because originally I just thought about, you know, his glory days in, in New Jersey, just, you know, in front of the net, outside the crease, just chipping in garbage goals. And so are you always in restaurants in and bars? <laughs> every every time the news hits, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I was at uh PJ yeah. O'Brien's. I, you know, I just I was, have a I vivid here. I was there and things, they were like, man. yeah, they were always out to eat. Oh, is that I a different spot too? I, lo- I love the dim sum too. I don't know about the Kingston dim sum. Is that a, is that move? It was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. Solid, it solid like six. Out, not as much ago. as you enjoyed the Clarkson signing from what it sounds. The Leafs, but, the Leafs want to have to decide if they want to be the Bay Street bankers or the Bay Street hustlers. Bay Street you know, bullies. Or the Bay Street. But they're not though. It's like, do you want to like, like, I'm not expecting you to fight. I'm not, I'm not expecting you to like, get suspended for a dirty hit no but no there has of to be a, there has to be an intensity level kenny you can and, be harder you know, to play against you can be hard to play against and not have drop the gloves every two seconds yeah or like columbus is a, a hard hit. team to play against yeah like Sidney crosby is a hard player to play against because he goes into the corner and you know what you're getting alex ovechkin is a hard player to play against because he's physical and you know that he's got that edge to his game and he's going to come in and take the body same thing with you know when you have guys like tom wilson on your team like they they set the they set the tempo for the rest of the guys in the group. They're like, all right, like you can either get on board or get the hell out of here. This is and the I know culture. what your this next is question is going to be. Play. Who who's who's the hardest player to play against on the Leafs? I don't know. Maybe Zach Hyman. Probably. Well, you'd hope that you'd hope that it's Austin Matthews. You don't hope. think he's he's not there quite yet. I mean, we've seen flashes of it where he's been the dominant two way player at stretches. And I think that, you know, for example, like look at game four against Columbus last three minutes of the game. That was some of the most dominant hockey I've ever seen. Yeah, he turned players. it on in desperate times, but they need to turn it on all the time. Yes. Like when you see Tavares and Matthews and these guys out there just playing like they're just skating circles around one of the best defensive teams in the league. And I'm like, where is that all the time? Like they need to bring that intensity to the first, you know, I, I know obviously it's like the playoffs and you can't play, you know, 82 regular season games at that intensity level. You're going to run out of juice and it's going to be impossible to sustain that sort of energy and then have a gas left in the tank for the postseason. But man, you got to see some of that intensity level and like the drive and the determination and the will to win on a night in, night out basis. You have to have, find that in, well, the season will obviously be different this season. But you have to be able to find that in those games in like October, in November. You have to be able to find that gear and that intensity. Understand that matters. There might still be four or five months of the season left, 
But these are pivotal games early in the season when you end up looking at the way that the division always shakes out at the end. It's three, four points that separate you. And you'll really be wishing that you picked up those two points against Detroit in November when you dropped and laid an egg on the road. Or those two points against Anaheim when you know they were injured and started their backup goalie. These are games that you have to win. And Toronto's inability to close out those games early in the season and the inability to take the regular season seriously, especially early on, has really hindered them down the stretch. And they need to be better to understand and put them in a better position come playoff time. And that's the thing, too. I mean, when you're when you're in a three nothing hole against a team like Columbus, it, it was almost like Columbus was like, holy Christ, like this is OK. This is the Toronto team we prepared for, but they can never do that against a team you know, like Washington or Boston, it's like, if this is a, a, a series clinching game and you're in a three, nothing hole, sorry, you're not coming back. Like a, a, a perennial contender team, like, like a Boston or Washington or Tampa, what have you They're like that series is done. Like, see ya pack your bags. Yeah. You can't do it. And also when you look at those teams, they just gave themselves a much easier road to into the playoffs. Like they get the qualifying sort of weird like play in series where they're all playing the round robin games, whereas Toronto gets a crap draw against a really difficult team to play against in Columbus, and then eventually they get eliminated and technically don't even make the playoffs. Like yeah. if you looked at can't this even really season, call it a first round exit. It was like just it to wasn't get into they, the first round. They did not qualify for the playoffs this year. No, with no. they the Toronto Maple Leafs are not a playoff team. No, like let that sink in. They were not a playoff team last year. No. And that is unacceptable at this point in the development. And it's unacceptable because if they had taken it more seriously early on in the season, obviously, you know, who knows who it would have shaken out if they played like the last 20 games, maybe they would have solidified a better position and it would be a different matchup and blah, blah, blah. You have ended up probably getting Tampa Bay or Boston in the first round anyways, which by my estimation, looking at the way that everything shook out, who, what, what, why would I believe that Toronto would beat either of those teams in a seven game series? Certainly if you got Tampa Bay, got to feel like it would have just been a foregone conclusion that they would have gotten waxed out in the first round anyways although Maple Leaf fans would love to say oh we match up with their style of play better and that might be true that they have similar skill guys but like Tampa's a wagon they understand how to shut it down defensively they understand how to play that two-way playoff game that Toronto doesn't understand that yet and so to me all it comes down to is philosophy and understanding that there has to be a certain seriousness in the regular season and you know Dubas had said this in his overdrive interview that both he and Sheldon Keefe have high standards of preparation and the fitness of the players coming into the season and being prepared mentally entering the season and that you get tired. And I loved this because this is right on par from what we've talked about before on the podcast. Dubas said that he gets tired of having potential entering the season, but not manifesting it in the postseason. And that's exactly what they're doing. This is a Maple Leafs team where we're just going to talk about potential all the time, every year, potential, potential, potential. This team can make the cup finals. This team, if they play at their potential, they're going to be a really difficult team to play against. And if they play up to the level that we've seen them play at, they're going to be one of the best teams in the East. Well, I, I don't believe it anymore. I, I, I don't believe it anymore. I need them to show me coming into this season that they are going to realize that potential and we need to stop talking about it as if this team is as currently constructed is going to be able to make a deep run because do I believe they have it in them? Yes. Have they shown it to me? No. And there were so many instances in the regular season too, Kenny, where, you know, they were handed games, like games, games were gifted to them on a silver platter. Like when David Ayers came in as an emergency backup, that Jesus game has Christ. to be put away. There was in a similar game against Carolina. I lost like eight hundred dollars like on that six. game. How much? I lost like eight hundred dollars on that game. Holy smooch! But also, like, granted, like full disclosure, like I had started out at like in my betting account, I started out with fifty bucks, and then I parlayed that up to about twelve hundred bucks. So I was doing pretty well and doubling up my money. And I've never so aggressively live bet a game in my life. Like Ayers went in there and they scored two goals, I believe, on the first three shots. And the betting line hadn't really changed. Like, oh man, I was I was throwing serious, serious money down on the Maple Leafs. Maple Leafs to win money line, Maple Leafs to win by two, puck line. Like I was, I've never, I was like, they're gonna beat this team by five goals. 
I'm not a huge betting guy, but what would be I like was the that, I was on that one. What would the, the payout be if you bet on airs and the Canes? On, honestly, like I think I think the amount that I lost was like it was between 600 650 and 800 dollars. And if I had won the bets that I parlayed on that, I would have won like well over five grand. Good lord! I know I was thir- <laughs> I was so thirsty and I was so mad when he just pitched a shutout in the third period. I was like, Jesus Christ! Just a cold February night where points matter and the Leafs just completely blow a fuse. Yeah, is that that's what I'm talking about? There needs to be that consistency, and obviously but the it's GM gonna be, and the coach. It's going to be the last draw the the next the next season coming up because. It's like, we know you can perform in the regular season. We know you can, you know, accomplish all these individual feats and stats and awards. I don't give a bleep because that's four years of postseason disaster, disaster yeah. endings. And, and one thing, yeah, you, go ahead. You need, to, you need to be able to put yourself in a position, a stable position for the postseason. The Leafs are not in a position now where they can just kind of creep in because right now, if, if you're the 30 other teams in the NHL, it's like Toronto doesn't really scare us. They're just a bunch of millionaires who just, you know, a bunch of skill guys. But are they really digging in and are they really competing with the highest intensity possible to make a deep run? No, they're not. And when you look at Tampa Bay, just to tie off this point in general, because Dubis brought this up as well, was that when you look at the way that Tampa Bay's roster is constructed, similar with the high-end talent, but the core players of Tampa Bay as well were outstanding through the playoffs. And we highlighted they did it without Steven Stamkos. I mean, you look at Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman, Andre Vasilevsky. They were the best players for Tampa Bay. Like it wasn't They were the close. best players consistently. Consistently. Night run. in, night out, point yep. totals, you know, power play. Vasilevsky coming up with the big saves. Anderson's been criticized for not being able to do that in elimination games. They were the best players for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that has to be the case as well. If you're going to f- top load the roster like that, it has to be JT. It has to be Matthews. It has to be Nylander. It has to be Marner. It has to be Riley. It has to be Anderson. These are the players that you need to carry the team on their back. And if they aren't going to do that, then you're never going to have success. Also, just to add a little levity here, because we've been getting pretty heated, which I I'm like. I'm heated. No, it's good. I- I'm-, I'm pissed I'm, with you, I- man. I'm fucking... Excuse my French. <laughs> I've tried trying not to use. Uh, I think that's the, the second time the combined we've let the f bomb drop. But I think that's I let one. I, thought, I think I let one slip in the first episode. But yeah, I'm I'm rattled. And uh, well, we'll see. Obviously, if, like full disclosure, we are recording this on Friday morning because of the holiday coming up, the Thanksgiving holiday for Canadians. I don't know how many of the listeners are Americans. I'm assuming that the majority are probably Canadian or have an awareness of a Canadian Thanksgiving coming up this weekend. So that's on the the following Monday. We normally would record on the Sunday, but because of family obligations, we aren't able to do that. So with the free agent signings and stuff like that, we'll dissect all of that in next week's episode once the dust has settled from the free agent frenzy. I'm sure that a lot of the listeners will be watching that uh, Friday, all day Friday, to see what happens. And there's a lot of speculation based off of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and all the financial implications that have come with that. And we'll see what the market is, is established at because it's uh, obviously tenuous times and a lot of uncertainty based off what it may look like. I just wanted to say uh, about the draft. I found it completely awkward. Marner's little introduction there riley did you see riley with the mustache in the back i don't oh know and then it's now he's just like a internet sensation meme overnight it was hilarious but i, yeah, I like the mustache i don't I, know what, out the mustache i don't think i don't know if martin or pardon me i don't know if matthews is, is starting a trend or something here but the the mustache ever since lou left they're just doing their own like facial hairstyles i'm like like i don't know like just support november but the, the year-long stash it's like I think when it's it, hilarious. When it ship first before you can start adding that kind of style, Matthews. That's what I'd say. They're going to look like a whole team of porn stars. Yeah. When they hit the ice, they all just got the cookie dusters. Like Matthews got it. Riley's got it. I don't know who else is going to be growing out the facial hair. I feel like uh, I have to take a look at the off-season progress, but you feel like those two guys aren't going to be the only guys. I'm down for it, to be quite honest. I think it's hilarious. I just thought it was awkward that the the introduction of it all, but you know, obviously, I know I know Marner's he's a player. He's paid he's paid to, to Mitch Marnie play, but I just I was kind of just like oh, I was sitting with my roommate. I was like, 
Ooh, yikes. All right, let's get that 15th overall pick and keep moving on here. Speaking of the holiday, what are uh, what are you up to for the holiday? I'm going to head north and just eat like eat everything. The one thing <laughs> the one thing I wish was a little bit more like they in American Thanksgiving in the states. Man, that used to be my favorite holiday when I lived down there because everything they shut it down for Thanksgiving. Everything's closed. Like Thursday, we used to go every Thursday. It's the Thanksgiving Thursday. And then in the morning, we used to go play a football game. Sort of like there was a turkey taco bowl. game and a touch. Yeah, the turkey bowl every morning. You go there, you go there pretty early and like you'd be drinking beers at like 8 a.m. while you were playing football. And then you go home and I'm you just like you just turn on the TV and just start watching football. They just have like the huge turkey spread. Uh, we used to do it kind of more like blindside style as well. When nobody, when the family was not in town, where it's just like, yeah, we can just like watch TV. We can just watch like football and just like eat in the living room. And I was like, this is amazing. In Canada, they don't really have that same tradition. It's on the Monday, which I find a little bit peculiar. And I'm actually working on this following Thanksgiving Monday at TSN, Monday at TSN 1050. So it'll be the turducken version of overdrive on the holiday monday but i just find uh, it i need i need some sports i need i need the thursday friday saturday sunday combo where i can just like put my feet up and just relax it's uh it's a time to kind of go you know what diet starts after thanksgiving you know we talk about size i think personally i need to put on a bit of size so i don't mind eating an extra uh an extra plate of stuffing this weekend man well, yeah, I don't know. You're the current size. You might be the perfect size for a Toronto Maple Leafs draft pick. <laughs> where, where, where are you looking? Are you uh, you're around 155 like, right now? 148? No, I'm like I'm like a healthy 5'8", 167, 168. Okay. So you know, I mean, like healthy, but probably could put on some more uh, some more width. I'm a, I'm a little bit more in the Jake Muzzin category. Right, yeah, six one, about two two ten, two fifteen ish. I haven't stepped on a scale in a little while, though, to be honest. So maybe it's uh, getting a little out of hand. I can still fit into my skinny jeans, though. So at the moment, that should be okay. The thirty two waist is still uh, is still fitting all right. So that's usually my gauge for whether things are getting out of hand or not. So what you're saying is you're a top two defenseman on a team that has a cup ring, and I am a AHL forward. No, what I'm saying is that I'm like a seventh pairing defenseman on my beer <laughs> league team, but I usually have better stamina than a lot of the guys out there. Yeah. So at least I could jump on the ice. I think that's why I play defense is because I can back check into the third period where, you know, Ross Levitan's out there blowing air. He's given up a sixth spot. Isn't he a goalie? <laughs> he gets shelled in that, but he scores a lot of goals. That guy I was like, you play yeah. goalie. He's got sick handles. He spends basically all his time in the winter on the outdoor ranks. We like, I probably went about 15 times with them. I think last year he hit the outdoor rank like 50 times. I thought you were going to say he, he spends all his smooth hands. I thought you were going to say he spends all his time in the neutral zone when his team's trying to kill a penalty. Wait oh, for that yeah, pass. He has been known to uh, cherry pick a little bit, but because he scores the goals, I think he was the leading goal scorer on our team last year. I think that also is because Huge. he's a goaltender. He was a goaltender, so he kind of knows the angles and where to shoot and what's going to be a difficult, you know, spot for the goaltender to save. Right. Where basically, I just go try to go for high glove every time, like no matter what, high glove. Like I'm hey, basically man, shoot, like in, in the mighty shot. ducks. Shoot your damn shot, Kenny. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful if I can ever tie one of these together and go bar down. But in the meantime, I'm just going to keep missing the net by about six inches high and wide. I've been eager to get to the library bar. We'll hit it up. Oh, speaking of which, I caught up with our boy Ian Graffs just to tie this one up here. We had a nice time. We did not go to the library bar. We ended up going to Hilo on Queen Street. Nice little bar. Wow. Yeah, it used to be a, a little bit busier for sure. But uh, they've got spaced out, got a couple tables in there. So we had a couple drinks, talked some Leafs hockey. Uh, can't can't uh, bring out the secrets to the secrets that we uh, got up to too much. He's obviously got some connections with Myrtle and Jonas, and they have an inside look on the athletic. And I feel like uh, they get some inside information. But yeah, it was a we'll great time with trash. Ian Graffs, and hopefully we can have him on the pod soon again to discuss. And you'll have to join us next time, buddy. We uh, we missed having you. It sounded sound like a good time. What was it called? Hyatt? How do you spell that? Hilo. Oh, Hilo. Yeah, Hilo. Yeah, it's a little bar. They had like a dartboard. And it used to be like a great spot to go from like 1230 to 2 for last call. Nice. It's just like loud music. It's all packed up. They do like pretty cheap beers. I think it's like 5 or $7 beers. So hey, you know who's at the library bar bad. this week? Oh, Josh yeah. Anderson. 
Jackson. Oh yes, Lockie Witch, who's, who's at the library, bar. I believe. I just over, forgot. Just over five mil, I believe. Josh yeah, Anderson Josh Anderson. I mean, that's a shrewd pickup for Bergevin. I like that player a lot. Brings the grit, determination, you know, that physical sort of archetype that we were talking about. And who's at the library bar on the other, on the flip side, Max Domi. Getting yes, out sir. of getting out of Montreal. I mean, I feel like this is good for the player. He just obviously wasn't jiving with head coach Claude Julien. Uh, I guess he wasn't not. Developing. Yeah, well, they asked him about it after the facts. They were like, oh, how's your relationship with Claude? He's basically like, ah, I'd, I'd rather not comment on that. Next question. I was like, oh my, oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh now he just goodness. locked up a two-year deal with the hey, Jackets. Also, a big shout out to Ty Domi, who can stop pretending to be a Montreal Canadiens fan now. That's huge. He's probably he's probably we, joining I, Max at the library bar himself. Buddy, Ty Domi busted out, dusted off that old Maple Leafs lid for the first time since his son got drafted or got traded from Arizona to the Montreal Canadiens, he just dusted off that leaf slid and just like cracked it out and started walk wheeling around the GTA, just happy as a clam that oh, he doesn't yeah. have to be wheeling around pretending to wear, to like wearing the blank rouge, what, what do they call it? Blue blank and rouge? Ooh. Is that what it is? I don't know. I, you're, I don't you're probably closer than what I would try and I, I, I probably butchered that. It's a good thing this isn't a Habs podcast or uh, we'd be roasted. All right, buddy, that's all I got. You got anything else? Nobody. Hey, tune into French Open. The semis and final will be going on this weekend. You working it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'll, t- I'll tune in then. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow us at Ken Stapon, at McCarthy 95 at HockeyPodNet. Next episode coming the following Monday after Thanksgiving. Happy holidays to all our Canadian listeners, and we'll catch you next time. Do you want a true champion's perspective? Well, come on over to the Bolts broadcast, where we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, have some friendly banter, and of course, hockey name of the day. If you pronounce it, you can get it. Anthony Nunschwander. Ah, you didn't pronounce it right. Anthony? Anthony Nunschwander. It's it's N-E-U-E-N. It's Neunschwander. Anthony Neunschwander. Dude, I always slept in German class, so I don't know... I don't know how you expected me to put that together. Come on. You only took it for four years. I took it for two. Took it for two years? Oh, no. Jay don't yeah. took it that long. I, I took it for two years and was, like, asleep in all of German, too. Oh, you, you, she, you only took it in, in uh, junior high. You didn't take yeah. it in high school at all. No. Yeah, she sent us across the hallway, and it was, like, me and i don't know five other people and all we did was just goof off because it was an empty room of just us while she was too busy yelling at you guys because you guys were a terrible class <laughs> no uh, we weren't a terrible class a couple people were terrible people i'm uh, not gonna you. mention names not gonna call it anybody in this pot it was chase crawshaw it was 100 <laughs> percent not me oh boy i know a couple of those names but uh yeah it's a good point chase we won't mention those here new episodes every monday Only on the Hockey Podcast Network.